0: the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. And my name is Dustin Dowler. And Dustin is joining me as co-host. And this is a new format for the show. Uh, As you might have heard a few episodes back when I put together a very short episode because I had no contributor segments, the show is difficult to schedule sometimes, especially with a lot of guests in different time zones. It's been particularly hard to nail down recording times and contributor segments haven't quite been as plentiful as I had hoped, so trying a new system where Dustin will be co-host and might have some more co-hosts joining in the future, depending on how things pan out. Um, I'm still keeping the contributor segments, they'll just be added in to each episode, so you'll always have some of us talking, maybe we'll even get to a point where I don't have to be here, but and then throw in some contributor episodes as we have them and time permits, so if you are interested in submitting a contributor segment that is still a thing and you can head over to the website the boardgameworkshop.com and see all the details in the contributor section. Um, also, we still have the Google Voice number. It has been pretty inactive. So if you want to call in and leave a segment on there, that's all you have to do. or you can call in with a question for any of us about any sort of game design topic. But, uh, yeah, so we're gonna try this new format going forward, see if it helps the recording schedule, if nothing else, and it's nice to have Dustin on the show. He's one of the people I've known online for it's over a year now, right Dustin?
1: yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, you have not been on the show yet I think i had I had everyone else in uh c m Perry's group on at one point, but you hadn't you hadn't come on at that time
1: yeah i'm I'm the shy guy on the group, so
0: and now here you are stuck co-hosting. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I was shy, too, before I started this, But the, which we're going to go into the story of how this whole thing started. But one of the reasons I started the podcast was just an excuse to talk to people, because I'm, I'm very bad at small talk and nervous about introducing myself to people for no reason. But having the podcast, I can say, hey, would you like to be on my podcast? And all of a sudden, we're tied into a conversation, and it helps immensely. So we want to start with uh, an introduction, which I'm not sure if I ever actually talked about how i got into this whole thing on this show i know i talked about it on on my blog i think and on other shows but never really here so dustin why don't you start with how did you get into board games in general and more specifically hobby board games if that was a different story
1: yeah absolutely so my story like so many others started with just playing games as a kid and and i didn't i don't have a cool story about like finding this really nice gem of a game. I, I played Hi-Ho, Cherio, and Monopoly, and all all the run-of-the-mill ones that everybody's played. And some friends introduced me to Settlers of Catan, um, when it was Settlers of Catan, and I hated it. I just thought it was the stupidest game ever. And, and it's funny looking back, because my sensibilities now, are, I, I'm probably more into that kind of thing, but at the time, I just, I wasn't. And my brother he started collecting uh, CMON games they're cool many or Kuhlman, you're not or they're they're calling themselves come on now I guess yeah
0: um, <laughs> see how that works and, out and,
1: yeah and so he's really been in the board game scene for a long time uh, I was listening to a, another podcast that they just started talking about tabletop games and and so between you know, past experience and, and my brother's experience in collecting, and then just listening to the, this podcast that I was listening to at the time, I decided to go and pick up Blockus and uh, Forbidden Island, and just kind of played with those for a little while and, and recognized that it was something that I really enjoyed, and then I almost started collecting immediately and, and my collection just blew up and now I'm just trying to play all the games that, that I, I currently have before I get any more. Uh, as far as the design side um i'm not even sure what what sparked that specifically um some kind of i wanted to create a war game i created an old maid variant just some really kind of dumb little designs (laughs) that turned out to to kind of propel me in in that direction and um and it's it's been fun i i've I've started working on some Euro games and some 18-card games, and I'm not sure that I I have a specific design style that that I've fallen into, but um, almost everything I I do starts with an 18-card design and kind of turns into something else at some point.
0: As you realize you need more pieces to make it work.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: I've done done many of those myself. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm... I mean, similar, like, everyone, I started off playing whatever mass-market games we had at home. Um, My family... Like, for people that aren't into the hobby, they were relatively into games. Like, um, my uncles and aunts would come over. They, my parents hosted a weekly game night when I was really little, so I wasn't allowed to play. But they would come over and play things like Trivial Pursuits, categories um, Pictionary. Pictionary was always one of my favorite games. So, I, I had that around. So, and we had, like, all of the random kid game you could think of. Mouse Trap and weird things where you crushed Play-Doh things and all sorts of bizarre things. Um... Hero Quest was a big favorite when we were younger. We had that, which sadly was thrown away, and that's it's not something that I am ever really going to get over. But we had Hero Quest, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I think Hero Quest might be like the earliest part where I really got into game design, although I didn't think of it as game design, but it had the section where you could make your own missions and stuff. So I would always do that. Um, and then as as I grew up in middle school, I got into Magic: the Gathering, so I was like three years after it started and really started to get into that a lot like all my friends played and stayed in the magic community for a while till later in high school kind of walked away from that just went over and wasn't really gaming at all I'd still play with my brothers every once in a while we'd have a good game of monopoly or the farming game then when i went to college i uh i randomly went to a Newberry Comics, and there was a box of Magic cards on the counter. I'm like, oh, I remember those. And I bought a single pack, and it just pulled me right back in to that very expensive hole. Uh, So I like pulled out my old cards. I'm like, oh, I remember this, brought them up to college with me. And then I was just looking at them in a public space, and someone saw that I was playing. And I'm like, oh, you, you play Magic. We have a group. And I like joined that group and stuff. So I got really heavily back into Magic at that point that was my first or second year of college so all through college I was really into it after college um, and through that going to local game stores I met a lot of a lot of friends that I'm still friends with now oh, 10 15 years later but um, so I met a lot of friends through that and I was mainly focused on on magic but it was very like hobby games adjacent they're in the same store friends have a game. So I would occasionally play something like Race for the Galaxy. Um, so I was just on the edge of hobby board game, but still very focused on magic. And I think magic, again, like creating decks was always something I really enjoyed. So I think that tied into the how easily game design hooked me later. So I like that creativity. Then it was one of my magic friends in 2014. So I do have a specific moment that I got into hobby games and designing. A friend of mine who I played Magic invited me over to play Eclipse. He was like, oh, would you like to play Eclipse? I'm like, oh, sure. Sounds like fun. I knew nothing about Eclipse, or really the entire hobby uh, community. So I went over, we played Eclipse, and I'm blanking on the other one by Smirk and Dagger. Wow. Totally blanking on the name. Anyway, that Smirk and Dagger game where you're all semi-cooperatively working through a dungeon. So we played Eclipse. Eclipse was the main one that stuck with me, obviously. and Eclipse was magical for me. Like, it's it's a big, heavy game, but it the way it organizes information is... I mean, maybe not the most streamlined. There's probably always improvements you can make. But it's it was one of the clearest displays of that much information I've ever seen. The way, like, when you move one token from one track to put it on a place to show that you own this, on that track it reveals your new prices. And there's a lot of systems like that, that just by moving one piece, you actually change multiple pieces of information. Um, and it... It stuck with me. So that was April of 2014. And from then, I was like, oh, I can make a game, which it's a lot harder than you think at first. But that got me to try something I made. It was kind of like a mix between Eclipse and Risk if you made both of those much, much slower games. So it was terrible and has all its own problems. But it got me hooked. Like, I designed up the rules. I made a bunch of pieces and spent hours on it. And from that moment, I was hooked on game design. Like, I it's been over five years now and I don't think there's been more than a week that goes by that I haven't at least thought about a game, if not been actively working on something. So I was pretty heavily into that, Uh, I started, actually I hadn't started joining uh, groups yet, I was kind of on the periphery working on stuff, talking online and sharing with my family, and it wasn't until I got the idea, I started listening to a lot of podcasts, That's, that's the other big step that is kind of important to this story. I, um, before I got into board gaming, I was very big into listening to iTunes U. So they record mostly college classes and you just, you can listen to the class so you can go through. And I was going through like all sorts of psychology classes and economics classes. Um, uh, that was interesting. It was a thing to do on my long drive. And then I got into board game. I was like, oh, I wonder if there's board game podcasts. It turns out there, there are a few. Um so I started listening to one podcast and added another, and then those podcasts talk about other podcasts, so you add those in. Now I think I'm listening to something like 25 or 30 podcasts regularly, which I have to listen to on triple speed to get through them. But oh, yeah, me I've, as well. I've adjusted to that, so now I'm listening to, like, I have a three-hour commute, so I get through nine hours of podcasts a day, which is that's a sub- substantial amount of information.
1: Roto, when when you listen to him at triple speed, it's really, really fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are... I remember early on, there were a couple people, usually as guests, that they would come on and they would talk so fast, like Kathleen Mercury is one, whenever she's on, she's very excited, so she talks very quickly, and I would always have to slow it down, though now I've been listening enough that I can listen to her at triple speed and understand it perfectly fine, because I've gotten used to it, (laughs) so now I really only slow down for bad audio or very heavy accents, but even then, a lot of of people with heavy accents I listen to regularly, I've gotten used to it, so it's... It it moves along now. And then it was, I was having a conversation on Twitter with uh, Tony Miller and Daniel Newman. And it was just kind of spitballing an idea of like, oh, what if there was a service, or not a service, but a show where people would like send in their prototypes and you would like play it as part of the show. And my original idea was a video show. So it was that conversation and I was like, you know, like I work at a school, so in the summer my schedule is much less busy, like maybe I could work in this, so... It was during the summer, I had the idea, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to start this video show, and I have a perfect name for it, The Board Game Workshop, which I still love the name. I think it works great, though it has shifted very much from a video show while playing people's prototypes. Um, I shifted to a podcast because, one, audio is just so much easier to produce and edit and cheaper, and I was already listening to a lot of podcasts. So I was more in that world than the board game video world, which... I don't really have much time for watching videos with my schedule. Like I said, I've got a three hour commute, which is great for listening and terrible for watching. I decided to make it a podcast, uh, started out as a 15 minute interview show. And I didn't really find this out till later, but I started up almost exactly the same time as Board Game Design Lab and the Cardboard Herald, which I hadn't started listening to those till like a couple months after I started, but we all started like right around this two month window at the beginning of 2016. So that's kind of interesting. But, and then I went on with the interview shows for a while and they were short and I was, I started off monthly because I didn't want to overwork myself and then it started to pick up and I, like I knew a bunch of people on Twitter so I got a bunch of guests and I managed to record, I think it was like four or five episodes in a two day period when I was on vacation. I was like, well I have all these episodes, I don't want to just sit on them for months. Because at the time, if I was releasing monthly, that was five months of content. I'm like, that's too long. I've got to like keep this moving. So I switched to a weekly release, got all those out. And then once I hit the end of that, I was like, well, weekly is actually kind of tough. And I can't maintain this because I burned through all of my uh, recording so fast. So I switched to bi-weekly or fortnightly, if you're anywhere else, which makes more sense. Because apparently bi-weekly can mean twice a week and every two weeks. And that's, yeah, I've never
1: understood that one. That's
0: not super accurate. So every two weeks, I release an episode, and that was, like all of those switches happened in the first year. And once I got on the two weeks, that has been steady since then. I have not missed an episode, even if I do have to record ten minutes of myself just saying something to have an episode. Because I, I believe that consistency is one of those things you really have to stick with. Obviously, that's why it's called consistency. Um, so once that schedules down, then I came up with the contributor segment episodes, which was an idea to try and help with the scheduling. Cause I was having to schedule groups of people. And like I said, with the, especially with different time zones, it's, it's very tough to get a bunch of people, especially if you're working with people in Europe and people on the West coast and I'm on the East coast, we're dealing with sometimes eight, nine, even 12 hour differences, which is, is tricky. Plus everyone is busy, they have their jobs, they have their other podcasts, they have their design work, so no one has a lot of free time, so organizing multiple people is a pain. So the idea for the contributor episodes was people could record their own things separately so it wouldn't be a scheduling problem and they would send stuff into me and I just edit together and put it up. That worked out for, for a bit, although while it helped the scheduling issue immensely, it made the organizing much more difficult Because I wasn't trying to organize three people to come on and record at a certain point. I was now organizing anyone who was interested in submitting. And some weeks they would, some weeks they wouldn't. And I'd have to go out and send reminders. And I was not great at sending reminders. So that's been kind of dropping off. There's a lot of people that have interest. But I understand it's it's very hard to start this sort of thing. Which is why I have to be very careful never to stop. Because as soon as I stop, it would be really difficult to start back up as long as I keep the momentum. So that's why I started The Contributors, and that went well for a while. It was over a year and a half, I think, maybe almost two years. And as you've probably noticed, it started to taper off, especially this year. So now we are switching to a co-host system. So you'll regularly hear me and Dustin is the plan for now, maybe more people will come on. Like I said, maybe I'll get a break. But, um, and I think if nothing else, this will help at least consistently record episodes, and uh, we'll see where it goes. My goal is to make this scheduling easier for me.
1: <laughs> it's a good goal. Now, you're also a part of the the Game Makers Guild, or have been, or something like that.
0: Right. Oh yeah. So I, as I um, I started the podcast. Like I said, I the summer the summer of fifteen is when I talked about it. December of fifteen is when I recorded my first two episodes, and then I launched January of sixteen. At the same time I joined the Boston Game makers Guild which I had found out about through Boston fig because I had actually uh, the year before was it just 2015 must have been I was uh, I was in the showcase for Boston Fig with one of my designs which was a great experience and uh, it's been tough to get back in because the level of games that they select is uh, just getting higher and higher but um, so I found out about the game makers Guild through that and started going to there semi-monthly meetups twice a month and uh yeah that's been great and again that was that was the kind of thing that initially would have been very difficult for me just going into a room of strangers and like oh want to play my game um they're very nice and friendly people and they want to help but like getting yourself out there but having the podcast even at that time I was like just started and had released one maybe zero episodes I had a podcast that's a reason to talk to people so I was like oh I have a podcast would you be interested in being interviewed um And I did get some interviews through that, but just consistently belonging to that, met a lot of designers, and then designers introduce you to other designers, and the networking basically does itself in this industry, I found, as long as you're willing to just start talking to some people, they're going to connect you to other people, you're going to play games, it's all, you're going to meet more people, it's very hard not to. Right. Yeah, so what brings you to the podcast, Dustin?
1: Um, There's been a few things, and and I was going to mention real fast, I'm a part of the Board game designers Guild of Utah and and it seems like that community piece whether it's you know connecting through you know just listening to podcasts and, and social media and, and things like that or if, if there's some in-person meetups that seems like it's it's kept me in the the, the board game spirit as it were um, so that's been really great even though I, I don't attend as many meetings as, as I would like having having someone that, that I know, to, to go and show my game to or just talk about games has been awesome um, and so I, I've been listening to to your podcast really from the beginning and as you mentioned we, we were on the, the same discord server or channel and just got to know each other and have been friends for some time so you, you would put out that you were interested in having a co-host and I've always wanted to do something like this but didn't really know how so I uh, asked if anyone had signed up yet and you said no so i jumped on board
0: yeah i was actually very surprised if because ended up you and then corey who was going to be our other co-host, but scheduling wise didn't work out this time um like both of you responded pretty early on and if you hadn't i probably wouldn't have gone forward with the co-hosting yet like it would have been one of those like oh maybe i should do that and i would have just kind of stayed back going through the same motions of trying to schedule people trying to schedule people trying to schedule people but, um, like, I wouldn't have actively gone out and done, like, a co-host search or anything. But because you, like, put it up there, I was like, oh, that could work. And here we are. <laughs> Which, I, mean, I I hope this works out scheduling-wise, because my schedule has just gotten busier and busier as the years go on. Like, now I'm, I'm getting more design opportunities right now. I'm still working on Tempest Quest for Button Shy, So that's been taking up a lot of time. Plus, you don't get less game design ideas as you go. Like, you have all the old ones that are still there and you want to work on, and then you get new ones more and more and more. It's it's building up. I need more time to work through this backlog of ideas.
1: I feel like the longer I've been doing this, the the better I am at ignoring some of those. I think I, I ran with every one of them in the past, and some of them really are not good ideas, and so they they go to the... They go yeah. to the trash a little bit faster you now. You get
0: a lot better at finding those. Like, yeah, that's that's not going to work. I, I tried yes. that before.
1: Yep.
0: All right, so that's, that's about us. That's about the new format, which, I mean, we have vague ideas of what this could be. We're thinking maybe split it into certain segments. Um, I used to do listener questions as actually part of the contributor segments, but that kind of fell apart because we didn't get any more questions. So if people have questions you would like to send in, Uh, That's something I would definitely like to bring back, even if they're just ideas for topics and not direct questions. Uh, I know a lot of podcasts rely very heavily on people sending in topics, and if they don't, they'll run out of ideas. So I'm not opposed to listener-suggested topics or questions. A couple other things I want to mention on this episode, because I've kind of been doing a lot of stuff between episodes lately the design contest, which I'm sure most of you know about because I talk about that a lot. It's currently in round two, so we have 20 games that made it into round two. They're working on their submissions. Nothing has come in yet, and they're not due till the end of July, so I don't expect anything even a day earlier because you got to use every minute. Um, We were able to set up the coaching system, which I initially envisioned as uh, like a mentor system, but that wasn't really what I was going for, thanks to Matt Shoemaker, who has experience with mentorships, and I had a talk with him. He's like, you know, like, well, that would mean this and stuff, so kind of fine-tuned my idea, and what I really wanted was just a simple coaching system, so each game is assigned a judge if they want. one. One group didn't want it, but so each one gets a judge as their coach, and basically, it's a person who's on the judging side of the contest, so they're in a position like, what, what kind of things would you like to see in a submission? Um, but I thought it would be useful in a couple of ways. One, if you have designers that are especially new to the industry and you can pair them up with a coach who has been in it for a while, not necessarily a high-level designer or publisher, but just someone who's been around for a couple of years and can point you to resources and other people you might want to talk to and things like that, I thought it would just be a good networking opportunity. But also, a lot of the submissions, you're, you're basically just blindly submitting something to the void. and You're like, well, I hope whoever sees this likes what I came up with. And You don't have any feedback before you press submit. And then you get your feedback later and you're like, oh, well, I wish I had known that earlier. My hope is that you can get at least some of that from your coach. And they can be like, oh, well, you know, this this sort of thing doesn't really speak to me. Or I'd like to see this information. And just another person from a different perspective to bounce ideas off of help with anything so we managed to get enough judges together for that to work um, we had to do a couple of couple of judges are do coaching two games which isn't super strenuous it's like a two-hour commitment more or less depending on how much they talk obviously they're not restricted from communicating about stuff but so far that's been going really well it's been very positive responses from the judges involved and the designers so I think it worked out very well considering it was kind of a last minute addition which almost everything i do becomes last minute addition which i then refine the next year so that's that's how we grow um, but i definitely think i'll try and bring it back next year and get get more planning into it and schedule a little better cuz this year it was i had to put all of the coaches together in like a 2 day span to give them enough time so it's kind of is very tight there but it worked out And I think uh, it'll definitely be better next year. And it's such a positive response that I I think it's gonna be a solid part of the contest from now on.
1: I love the idea of that mentorship. Um, So I'm curious to see how that pans out.
0: Yeah, I mean, even if it stays just as it is, I think it's a helpful thing, but I definitely think it can grow. While we're on the topic of the contest, so my thoughts about the contest this year more than last. So last year was the first one and it was all a learning experience. And I realized ways I could refine things Uh, Some of that was like getting new software behind the scenes to help my job be easier refining my coding process for converting all of the feedback forms into text documents that go out to everyone and I was able to refine that a little more this year and again see places that it could be improved for next round and next year but one of the things that I came up against this year is I don't actually want this to be a contest. What I realized from some talks on Twitter is that my goal here, like this year there's not even a prize, the only prize is if you get into a later round, you get more feedback and if you, and presumably more people talking about your game and more people seeing it. But there's there's no cash prizes this year or even random prize giveaways. But my, my goal even from the beginning was more about getting people feedback and showcasing people's work. So getting it in front of judges or just talking about it on social media and getting getting some attention to these games and giving them the feedback so they can get better. So I'm thinking for next year it won't be branded as a contest. Uh, one suggestion from online, I want to say Laura Mulsey, I can't remember the conversation exactly, but suggested calling it a showcase. Uh, so that might be what it shifts to, but I really want to focus more on the bringing attention to the games getting feedback for the games, and building the community, which starting the Discord has helped that a bit. Uh, it's not super active all the time, but there are a bunch of people in it that will answer questions, so that's kind of helped especially in the early stages of the contest. So it's not quite as direct as the coaching system, but it's a group of coaches and designers, and you can say, hey, this is my idea for this. Any suggestions? And it's been a decent response when people have questions there, so I'd like to, to grow that and make it more active.
1: But um, So if if the contest moves away from being a contest and turns into more of a showcase, would there still be a whittling down um, of rounds and things like that? Or how, how would that work?
0: Yeah, so I think the structure will be pretty similar. So, And I know I get so much pushback on that two-minute video for round one, but I, <laughs> I'm a big fan of the two-minute video because what the two-minute video lets me do is say to all the potential judges, it's only going to take you about five minutes to watch a video and give them feedback. Some people take 10, some people take 25. We've gotten some feedback that's massive. I think the longest one for round one was like 650 characters or words. 650 words, yeah. And um, and then some is short. So, But it, it allows a lot of people to get eyes on it, which gives the benefit of kind of balancing out, like, are there people that just vote low or people that vote high kind of balance that out there's i might go into deeper statistical things for the scoring in the future instead of just a straight average but so that will all be largely the same um then round one will cut down to round two the the number that go into round two is always going to be dependent on the number of judges at the time so the first year we did 30 That was too many to deal with for the amount of judges and the schedule. It overlapped with a lot of uh, conventions. So I ended up having to extend round two last year and that was not great for the schedule. It made round three very tight. Um, So this year we're doing 20. We'll see how 20 goes. Although this year we have double the judges and about the same amount of time. So we'll see how that pans out. Maybe we could do 25 if we can stay at this number of judges which would be great. We can uh, maybe expand that a little. And then round three, again, with... Round three relies a lot on local judges because it's an in-person playtest. Last year, because of scheduling issues, and like I said, it was really pushed up against... It was... Was it? I think it was December 29th was when we had the playtest meetup. So, And I really wanted to get it done in the year so it could be the 2018 contest. So I think I got that at the 29th and ended up like doing the results the 30th so round three might get a little bigger if I can get more local judges, which does seem to be happening this year. So more more of the judges from last year are reaching out to their local friends, so that should, should pull in a few more people, and with more time to schedule it, that can allow more people to make it. So it will still cut down from any number of entries that get into one down to a set number for two, because two is a much more time-consuming judging process, to an even smaller number for round three, because there's a very limited amount of time and people to actually play them in person. Um, And then round, so round three, here's my idea so far. I mean, this is all potential to change, so don't quote me. But round three would be considered the showcase for that year. So if it's the five games, that five games would be the showcase. And then there would be a quote, unquote, top game winner, whatever you want to call it, based on the results. But all five of those would go up on the site, which the ones from last year are up there and that was part of like um a public voting thing, but I'll shift that more to the showcase and just information about the game and links to it and if it's a showcase game and later it gets published or something, we can then bring that in and advertise it a bit for them. So something like that is my goal. And just more show like these are these are the games that were interesting to a lot of people over several rounds and they're, they're very good games for whatever reason. Um, the other change I think I'm making is right now there's judging on five different categories, and a lot of that is because I wanted a big enough number that there could be there could be a range of scores, so there's not a lot of ties. Uh, last year, I think they were judged on three or four things in round one, but there's also multipliers applied, so... Like creativity was judged higher than quality of your submission and things like that. So, I, And that allowed a lot of range in scores so that there were no ties. This year there were a bunch of ties after round one, which I'm fine with that. The only issue is if there's ties at the breakoff point for getting into round two, which, again, I'm okay with extending that. So if we end up putting 21 or 22 into round two, that shouldn't really collapse the system but next year I'm thinking I'm going to restrict it to a single category that is judged in each round so round one would just be innovation and I think the benefit of this is right now one of the complaints I get which I got first year and I worked on but I'm still getting it this year is the contestants and the judges don't know what they should be focusing on so I'm trying trying to hone that down because there's – I put out the information and people interpret it different ways. So one person thinks they're focusing on their innovation but someone else watches it and they're like, well, that's not innovative at all. <laughs> so there's still kind of a mismatch there, which to a degree you can't get rid of that entirely because people just have different opinions on what is or isn't innovative. And that's based on their their experience and their preferences and stuff. But I think cutting it down to just the single thing, so just innovation, that will help people make their submissions, because right now they're trying to show their innovation and their elegance and make it interesting and do all this stuff. If you're only judged on your innovation, then you can say, like, here's my video. This is why my game is innovative. That'll help focus. And again, maybe they won't complain so much about the two-minute time limit, but I think I'm always going to get pushback on the two-minute time limit. So yeah, and that'll make it more focused. And then round two, I think, would be about presentation, because round two is a how to play video and rules. So I think the presentation of your rules is a very important thing. And then round three would be the in-person play test. So it's kind of all over, but I think we could have that as judging elegance, because I think elegance really is, like, the entire package flowing together. And that was one of the other things. Round one also judges elegance right now, but a lot of people are saying, well, I can't really judge elegance based on a two-minute video. Like, I can maybe infer that this could be elegant, but it's, it's really hard to see it without playing the game to see the flow. So if that's not till round three, then you can definitely judge the elegance once you actually play a game.
1: That's a good point.
0: My concern is only having one category will increase the number of potential ties. So I might increase it from a one to five to a one to seven, or maybe even one to nine. Uh, I like to deal with odd numbers, so there is a center number, so you can say, this is the middle. I do not feel good or bad about this. So, might extend that a little just to have a, a bigger range. Um, the other issue to deal with, which is a difficult one to deal with, is to get the judges to consistently score things. Uh, some people just judge high, like, oh, this is alright, I'll give it an 8. And other people say, this is alright, I'll give it a 2. Um... And to a degree that's not possible so i can put up examples of like what each score is to kind of guide them towards it but everyone still has their own system of how they interpret things Um, which is why i like having a large number of judges because it kind of averages out any outliers to a degree and more helps that even more if we could get 100 people on every game i'm I'm sure the scores would be very accurate
1: so chris what, what do you think the the difference would be in having a, a range of 1 to 9 and 1 to 11 like would would somebody see 11 as being like an outstanding game um, because it's above 10 like i wonder if there would be like some psychological difference uh, ranging up to 9 versus up to 11
0: i think going up to 11 there definitely definitely would be i mean there's like spinal tap crank it to 11 11 is more than it's more than everything everyone knows That's 10 what is I was the top thinking. uh so that's, that's the thing, like even this year with the one to five, my, my interpretation of this, and this is what is put out like in the information to the judges, is a five is the absolute pinnacle of that thing. If you're giving something a five in innovation, this is the most innovative thing you have ever seen. Like this has changed the world of gaming by you seeing it. But that is not necessarily how judges interpret that all the time. Like five, like, oh, that's pretty good. Where in the current system, based on my, my intention anyway, pretty good as a four. Average is three. This could be better as a two. This does nothing for me as a one. And a five is reserved for like absolute pure excellence. Right. It's, I think with a five point scale, that is a little harder because people are like, oh, four is so close to three and three is very average. So <laughs> like a five yeah. is good. But I think if you if you crank it up to a seven or a nine, then you're like, okay, like it's not average. So, in a nine-point scale, five would be your average. Like it's not a five, a six is too close. But I could give it a seven or an eight, and it's still not the perfect nine. So I think at increasing that range helps. That uh, eleven would increase it a little more. But and like you said, I think eleven really would have this shift. Like ten is perfect. Eleven is perfecter.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing that people would probably see it that way. And and I think an average game, like one that was just kind of somewhere in the middle, I think people would probably still use five because we're so used to ranking five as kind of that, that middle number. Um, yeah. yeah. And it wouldn't necessarily be, be middle, you know. It would be Not interesting to see how that but, plays yeah.
0: out. That would be interesting. 11. 11 is an interesting number for sure. But, like, my main. The purpose of extending the range is purely to just help deal with tiebreakers and give a little more nuance to the voting. But we'll see. That's all testing for the future. But because I could not deal with this yearly cycle of make a design contest, test it, and try again, I decided to start Game Jams, which is another thing that happened since the last episode was recorded, or even aired, actually, because this is a one-week Game Jam that is ending tomorrow night as of this recording, so before this even goes up, uh, submissions will already be due, and again, like the first contest, and kind of like the podcast, I just had an idea and figured I would do it. I, uh, as part of my talking about the contest and, like, things I wanted to do, that conversation came up, I was like, oh, you know, like, this sounds like things to do for a game jam, just to have, like, a quicker, faster contest, and then a lot of people were like, oh, I'd be interested in that, I'd be interested in that, I'm like, Okay, I'll do a game jam. Doesn't take that much effort. You just put up, put up requirements, take submissions just like the contest, which I already have a pretty decent system for. And then my plan is to open up judging to the public. So if you're listening to this when it airs, we're probably halfway through judging. So head over to the boardgameworkshop.com and click on the game jam link and you can get into the judging. But the judging will work just like judging for the contest. So, again, I already have that system set up so I can take all that feedback and put it into files and send it out pretty quickly. Um, But I wanted a couple things with the Game Jam where it's different. Um, Some are things to test for the contest. Others are just interesting things to test. But I'm, so the submissions are pretty open. There's no required content. So, you can submit a video, but it doesn't have to be a video. There's no time length on the video. You can submit just rules. You can submit text documents. You can submit audio. You can su- submit a print and play. You can submit all of those things. You could submit none of those things and just put in your game name and the 500 character description. I don't imagine you're going to get much feedback on that. Um, and the other thing is, there's no prize for this. It's just feedback. There's only the one quote unquote round. So, it's. It's mainly a way for people to just get a creative idea, which is the restrictions, which this year is a tile-laying game about friendship, which I, I talked to some of my designer friends that are entering last night, and they've got wildly different ideas than I ever thought people would go. So it's just a fun <laughs> thing to throw out that restriction. And so many different people take it so many different ways. And then I, I love that sense of community where like, oh, like they had this idea and someone else had that idea, and then you're talking in the Discord about it, and you're like, oh, we could combine these things and this changes that and just that sense of community that design has always had because you need, you can't design by yourself. You need at least play testers, if not co-designers and people you're talking to about stuff. So I want to, I want to use the game jam more to just build the community and conversations about design. And it's just, it's a fun thing to try to do. It has a deadline. So you're trying to submit something, but it's not as restricted as the, um, as the contest where you need a certain thing and all this stuff. So it's, Right now, very open. Uh, currently, there's no cost for it. Um, I would like this to be a regular thing, so we'll see how this works out and how often I can set it up. If, like I said, the the voting system and submission system are all pretty much the same as the contest, so that's not a lot of work on my end. It's mainly just coming up with a restriction, which that's a really easy thing to do. I mean, you can come up with eleven restrictions in a second, just like. Here's, here's the thing I saw on the street. That's your restriction. Now go design a game. And almost almost any series of words in a row works for that part of the contest. So it's... Or Game Jam. So it's, it's a pretty easy thing to set up. And I think I could probably get it going monthly if there's enough interest in it. So if you are interested and you missed submitting, you can still go vote. And you can still tell me that it's something you'd be interested in. And I'm definitely more likely to do something if people say they want me to do it. So the other thing that has happened recently, which is more of a, a viral explosion on the social media, is, um, I don't know if anyone has seen, but um, Peter Hayward of Jellybean Games posted a let's parody rant about people that go to Kickstarter too early with very untested games and expect all sorts of stuff. It's kind of a, a funny little parody thing. That was, that was popular, and in, in the, the post, he mentioned Adjective Animal Games as the joke name of the company, because there are, there are a lot of game companies that, are, that have that structure on Adjective and Animal Games. Um, I know a lot of them. Some of them have been on this podcast. Uh, nothing against those names. I love the names, but it was just a, a funny thing in his post. And then on on the Facebook post, like there's a, a very extensive conversation about it. And at one point someone mentioned like, oh, you could make a random name generator. That'd be funny. And he's like, yeah, could someone do that? Uh, I have limited programming knowledge. And I was like, I could do that. No one else had posted anything about doing it for the couple of days. So I tried to do it. Um, it was very simple and it worked and I, Shared my little random adjective animal games generator, and it kind of went crazy. So then, so I'm very busy right now. I have a lot of things I should be working on. I should not have been coding a random name generator, but I did because it's fun and I get distracted by interesting projects like that. The problem was after I made it, I then had this distraction that was very entertaining just to myself, clicking on it to get a new game. I probably spent a couple hours just looking at new games after I made it. And then I shared it with the internet, and the internet did the same thing, and then shared the names. So then I had this endless stream of posts on Twitter and Facebook of people sharing things they generated. So I have created a stream of distractions for myself.
1: It kind of reminds me of Keyforge decks, the, the random kind of thrown together sound of them. And it, it's just as fun to look at those, I think.
0: It is. It's very amusing, and this you just you just click, and it shows you a new one. So uh, then I I added some updates to before it was just black text on white. So I added now it does a random color, throws in a random emoji as your logo, and does a random font. So it gives it a little more style, which I enjoyed. But some people wanted the simple black and white back. So then I added more updates. So now it's more customizable. And it's actually turned into a decent little thing. So. If you head over to theboardgameworkshop.com slash adjective-animal-games, you can find that. Or just search for it on Twitter or Facebook, because there are a ton of posts by a lot of people. It is actually, it is going a lot further than I expected, and I don't get a lot of hits on the website, except when uh, when I post like certain things about the contest, like posting the um, Launching the contest itself had a big influx. Uh, Early days of voting had a big influx. Posting the results had a big influx. This was the same size as that, like 500 hits in a day, just going to this random name generator. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'll probably make some more improvements as it goes. So if you have any suggestions for anything, check that out and let me know. And yeah, that's what I've been up to. Dustin, have you been up to anything?
1: Um, I've, got, I've got some games that I, I've been wanting to work on and just haven't found myself doing a whole lot with that. Um, so my, my goal this week is to get back to some of those games that, that I I've had, have had so much interest in and just really haven't put enough uh, effort into yet. So things at work have been really busy. I, I didn't mention earlier, but I, I'm a therapist at a residential treatment center. I'm actually the clinical director out there and so things have been just crazy at work, and I'm looking forward to that slowing down a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was I was looking forward to July being my easy month. Like, that's what I've been looking forward to all year, because I, I work at a high school, so in the summer, I still have to go in and work, but I run the TV studio, and there's no classes, so it gets a lot easier. So all year, I'm like, well, you know, I got classes now and all this stuff and all this stuff, but once, I, once school's over, it'll be easier, and then school's over mid-June, and I'm like, okay, well, I still got to finish up all this stuff, but then... Once that's done, July, July will be easy. The problem is, I pushed so many things to July because I was so busy before, that now July has been pretty busy. Like, July was my first free weekends, so every weekend in July is now a bunch of things booked on top of each other. Um, The other thing that I even forgot, because this is how distracted my life has been lately, with a distraction on a distraction, is I started doing some game photography because I had the idea of dropping components And taking a high-speed picture of it. And I thought that would be a cool effect. And I have access to a TV studio. So I'm like, oh, I probably have enough lights that I could get this to work. Because you need a massive amount of light for high-speed photography. So I took in some games I thought would be fun to do it. in my camera. Set up the studio. Turns out the normal lighting we use for the studio is nowhere near bright enough for what I was trying to do. But we had these extra lights. that are more stage lights. And we don't use them on the set. Because they are very bright. So I set up... A bunch of those lights in a little area, and uh, the first time I did it was problematic, but I did a second second shoot the other day, which had uh, a couple games. Dinosaur Island looks amazing with all the different bits, but I, f- I forget what the calculation is, but it's over, it's over 3,000 watts of light, all on a single, like, two square foot spot.
1: Wow. it's crazy. I
0: shoot at one four thousandth of a second, so... I throw all the pieces in and like freezes them in place like none of the motion blur. Looks really cool. It's amazingly hard to focus and it's amazingly hard to time. So it takes a long time to shoot but you get a couple of images that just look really amazing and I have to I have to go through the editing and get that sorted out because I was too busy distracted making that name generator which is a distraction from the work I should be doing on Tempest Quest, which I have to get done before I can allow myself to go work on my other games, which I haven't touched in over a month. But it's fun. It is all very enjoyable stuff. And, and the podcast, too. Is, you got to schedule this, got to get the editing done, got to get this posted. So It's all fun stuff, but there is so much fun stuff happening all at once.
1: Is, is there a, a particular game that you've been drawn to or, or played recently, or do you not get a chance to play other people's games?
0: I do not get a chance to play published games pretty much at all. <laughs> uh, like I'll play some solo board game apps on my phone sometimes, yeah. but it's like all of my game time is spent playing prototypes. I just had a meet up last night with um, my second design group, which is a local one in, in Norton. So if you're near Norton, Massachusetts and a game designer, look us up on Facebook, uh, Southern Mass Game Designers, I think is what we're called. But I uh, just had a meetup there. And I think it was the first time for that meetup that I didn't play one of my own games. Because, like I said, I hadn't really touched them since the last one, so there was nothing new to test. But it's always great like seeing my friends there and playing their games. And we played played a new one from one of my friends that is, currently it's a darker theme. It's about like your, your empire is starving, and like people are dying off. And you're not going to stop them from dying off. But you're gonna manage it to maximize your points. So that was a really interesting game. Like the the mechanics of it flow really well. It's still an early early design, so that went um, surprisingly well. And there's another another one someone brought. There's an like a little abstract like moving moving stones on a square grid. But you can it's um as the kind of the Onitama action setup where you, there's so many cards and I have two cards, and you have two cards, and then there's the public cards that we're going to swap them out for. So whatever you use is eventually going to give your opponent access to that action. Um, but that, on top of moving pieces around on a board, and the board is made of tiles, and some actions move your pieces, other actions move the tiles. So you could like move your piece forward, but then you could swap that tile with another tile, and you're trying to That's cool. win by certain things. Yeah, it was a really neat design. And uh, So we played it once, and it, it was okay. It was a little little stagnant in some parts and then we just we made very simple changes one was instead of the setup being all along the back row we moved two of the pieces up a single space that changed everything and then we sorted out the uh, the actions and gave it like one new action and the, the whole thing came together it's like moving perfectly now so it was it's really fun to especially to help with other people's designs but also on your own design to just figure out that like one little change that just makes everything click and uh it's really fun to see that in person and help out with it but no i have not played any published games i've been dropping a bunch of published games like i said dinosaur island the uh the (laughs) copy of dinosaur island i have is a kickstarter copy i have never played and is actually unpunched so i didn't drop any of the punch board just the dinosaurs and cubes and stuff and i tried dropping the coins the coin sadly did not photograph very well they're too heavy. They just mm. they kinda they all just fall as a lump. They don't spread out like the lighter plastic and wood does. So yeah, I've been Tom dropping Bassel a lot of games it not playing
1: them. Look too easy to do that.
0: Well that's part of the inspiration. Like um, so Odin Pong and what's Eric playing and stuff, like I follow them on Twitter and they like post their game photography. And especially especially Odin, a lot of his is like on a black table. So it has very much like the bits on like this black just like Space, you know, like there's no texture or anything to it. It's just kind of the bits And I was like that'd be really cool if they were like floating Whereas and then like Tom asked what the game drop. I'm like, yeah I dropped them in high-speed photography on a black background. They'll just be these like bits in space It sort of worked out to that, but uh, like I said, it's it's a technically challenging thing to do more so than I expected
1: uh, You might have to post those videos on your website or something
0: Yeah, I got to I posted the the earlier ones on Twitter. I got to edit edit the newer ones, kind of, and find the the good ones, because I took, like, 350 pictures, and out of those, 100 of them just didn't have anything in it because I missed the timing. But the other 200 are potential, <laughs> but a lot of them are not good. How about yourself? Have you been working on anything or playing anyone else's stuff?
1: I have been really interested in Carl Chuddock's stuff. Um, I would love to play, like, Glory to Rome and, and just... I don't know that I'll ever have a chance to do that. I, I found a, a, a print and play version of it and have just thought, I, I don't know, that I want to go to the trouble to, to get that all slaved and maybe at some point. So I I picked up a, a print and play for Matainai and have been playing that and the, the game is amazing. It's just fantastic. I, I couldn't be more happy with uh, just a, a print and play file that, that I've been playing. So it's such a cool design.
0: Yeah, I, I played Matainai once. I own it. I got, like, the double set because I was like, oh, well, that's better than the single set. Turns out you don't actually need the double set. It's just to play yeah. with too many people, which I'm yeah. never going to do. But uh, I played it once. It's really interesting. But it's one of the, it's one of those games that's, like, simple but also heavy, which is what Carl Chudik does. But uh, yep. really, it really benefits from multiple players. So I, really, I would like to dig into that. Uh, the other one of his, um, Innovation. Have you ever played that
1: one? No, I've watched videos on it, but I haven't played it.
0: Yeah, that's another one that I've owned for a while, and I got to play it once, and it's it's a lot of neat stuff, like all the multi-use cards and the the different way things work. Like it's it's one of those games that is a small package and seems like a simple game, but because of the multi-use cards, there's just so many ways things can interact that it really you have to learn all of the pieces.
1: Yeah, and and I play so many games with my family, and <laughs> Mataina is just not one to teach your kids, and, and I'm gonna try anyway. But I think the the bar is pretty high for teaching that one.
0: Yeah, it's just uh, I was listening to five days, five games for Doomsday, and That's uh, one Mike of my Fitzgerald. Favorite Mike Fitzgerald was just on is yeah. you know from the Ludology. His favorite game of all time is Metaini, so he was talking about that. And yeah, Metaini. I really would <laughs> like to play Metaini more, but also I would like to play the hundreds of games that I have never played in my collection, and uh, it's not going to happen. I'm gonna keep working on contests and photography and game design and never get to playing anything
2: yeah
0: so the other thing we have which i guess we can just slide in here at the end is we do have one contributor episode from patrick Rowland, who runs the i hope i'm getting this right the indie board game designers podcast um it's a really interesting show he interviews different indie game designers has had a pretty good list of guests on so far so if you're interested in checking that out But here is a contributor segment that he sent in. So we'll play that
2: now. Hello, everyone. Patrick here from the Indie Board Game Designers podcast, and I wanted to share something that I recently learned. Um, A friend of mine brought over a game to playtest, and we played for maybe 45 minutes, and then it was, you know, time for feedback. And the first question that he asked me was, did you like the game? And number 1, I I don't think it's the best question right out of the gate. You can probably ask someone what they thought uh as an open-ended sort of opening question, like what did you think of the game? It's probably a little bit better. Um but back to that question, the the very short answer, if I only thought about that question for a second or two, is that I didn't like it. Like that's that's what I that's how I would have had to respond that I I didn't feel fun and I wouldn't recommend it and there wasn't enough there and and all this stuff. Uh, But because we were at my house, we weren't at like a board game meetup or a board game design meetup, but we were at my house and we weren't rushed for time. So I, rather than just saying, no, I didn't like it. I sort of waited like 10 to 15 seconds, which is a really, really long time, right? It feels very awkward when someone asks you a question to just sort of think about it for 10 to 15 seconds. Uh, but it gave me enough time to really form an opinion and and then I re- I realized once I formed my opinion that it's not that the game wasn't fun. it what it's that there wasn't an arc. So the first turn of the game felt exactly like the last turn of the game. Uh, and I want the games that I play to change as I'm playing them. So I want to get more workers, or I want to build an engine, or, or even in a game that sort of is similar. You know, I want to see who's winning and go. Oh, there's only one or two turns left, so I'm going to try this really high, high risk, high reward strategy to see if I can get lucky and pull off a win. And unfortunately, his game didn't have that, so it just sort of felt like the same thing every turn. Um, and I shared my thoughts on the arc of the game, and guess what? A few weeks later, he had a new and improved prototype this time with more of an arc. And the game really feels different. So going through this experience, I have two pieces of advice. Um, Number one is try to use really precise language when you're giving feedback. I could have easily said, I didn't like it. Um, I could have easily, you know, he said, hey, Patrick, did you like it? And I could have said, no, no, it wasn't really for me. Um, But instead, I, I I took those probably agonizing 15 seconds for him. I took those 15 seconds and realized ah, I wasn't, the gameplay was fun. It's just that I wish it just changed over the course of the game. Um, and just, just, just to take that time before forming an opinion. Um, and I think you will be able to give people much better feedback on their game. And the second piece of advice is to find playtesters that do that. Um, play testers who will give you precise and or nuanced feedback I think there is a huge difference between a good and a great game, and you need to you need specific feedback to get your game to great. Um, you you really need people who know what they're talking about and can get and can sort of laser point pinpoint the problem. So I know this is like a little short contributor segment, but I just felt like it was an important lesson for me not to rush feedback. Um, sit on it for a minute or two and then give the best advice you can. I I really think it'll help you up your game design skills. So that is all from me. You can listen to me blab on my podcast at IndieBoardGameDesigners.com and you can hit me up on Twitter. I am at BFTrick. See ya.
0: Anything else you want to add before we close the show?
1: No, I think it's I think it's good.
0: So that does it for this first co-host episode. I feel like I have talked more on this episode than I have ever talked in my life. So I'm going to rest my voice after this. But Dustin, thank you very much for joining me. And I hope we have many more co-host episodes that are so easy to schedule. Which it's still tough because we're not in the same time zone. But <laughs> at least it's the same person over and over. So you can get your schedule... Acclimated to it.
1: Right. Yep. Looking forward to it.
0: You can contact me at all the contact stuff that'll be on the end of the episode for the podcast or on Twitter at BlueCubeBGS. And BlueCubeBoardGames.com is my blog, which I still update every Friday, whether or not it's interesting. So you can check that out. Um, mainly, I just talk about the contest and other things I've worked on that I just talked about here. So this is kind of like my blog. Uh, Dustin, where can people get in touch with you?
1: Uh, You can reach out to me on Facebook at OddFoxGames. That's my uh, adjective animal (laughs) contribution to the episode. Um, And and I don't do a a whole lot social media-wise, but if you want to reach out to me, that's probably the best place. Well,
0: thank you for listening, and we'll have another one of these
2: episodes soon. All right. Talk to you later.
0: That's all for this episode. The Board Game Workshop is a member of the Indie Game Report. You can check out their reviews and interviews at the IndieGameReport.com. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our inventor level supporters. Chris Turner, V Brad Batchelor, Roscoe Schott, Vas Cotis, and Corey Muderman. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theboardgameworkshop. You can follow the show on Twitter at TheBGWorkshop and on Facebook at TheBoardGameWorkshop. Join the show's Discord channel to discuss episodes. You can call the show's Google Voice number at 725-222-8249 and leave a question or a contributor segment for a future episode. You can get the links for these and all show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening.